This is David Bateson, the voice of Agent 47, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 136 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, June 19th, 2022. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we'll recap a few of the bigger announcements from the Capcom Showcase and examine just what the final fantasy news out of Square Enix means for the Xbox community. After that, we'll be welcoming back onto the show the developers of from 3-4 Big Things to discuss the launch of their next anti-gravity, grace, anti-gravity racer, Red Out 2. It is a packed episode once again, and as always, I hope you enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week, the words of kindness are twofold, headed to one Chris Parks and one Peter P85. Chris and Peter both jumped into a thread of people asking for good gaming podcasts to check out, and they heaped praise over onto XEP, hopefully steering a few people my way. Guys, I can't thank you enough for when you all do that. I appreciate it so much. It warms my heart. Uh, And every time someone does that, I see a bump, you know, a few people here and there just discovering XEP, and that stuff means the world. And in some ways, it ties into the housekeeping for this week. I want to send a huge thank you to all of you that entered into the $20 Xbox game card giveaway by dropping over on Twitter screenshots of your five-star rating from iTunes or Spotify. Uh, rating the show five stars. Big thank you to Famous Seamus, Zero Kill, Blaze Knight, Blair O'Farrell, Just a Duck, and Mostly Martinez for entering into that context. RNG says that Blair Farrell is the winner Blair I will be in touch with your $20 Xbox game card giveaway guys I am so appreciative when you all take the time to rate the show over on iTunes that's what helps me uh, stay in line with the big boys I am not on the level of some of the big dogs out there like a podcast unlocked defining Duke Xbox 2 etc but you're letting me punch above my weight when you all do that and I appreciate that so much uh, I am looking forward to you all checking out the interview with the Red Out 2 developers this week. They talked a lot about accessibility and how they made their anti-gravity racer more accessible. Uh, and if you missed it, last week, uh, TMNT Shredder's Revenge developer was on to talk about kind of their game. They kind of made headlines uh, by saying that there wouldn't be DLC. And then somebody else came out and said, well, maybe there would be. Uh, it was kind of neat to see XEP get a little bit of traction there from that as well. Uh, but really and, and truly, it's always a pleasure to have on developers to talk about their craft. That, that's uh, just my bread and butter. It's my favorite thing to do is to spotlight people that bring games to gamers. And I'm so appreciative when any developer does come on. Uh, if there's a, somebody that you want to see on the show, let me know. Let me know and I'll reach out to them. Uh, I often reach out. Sometimes people can't make it. Sometimes it's schedule. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, uh, language barriers and such. But uh, whenever someone comes on, I feel privileged uh, to get a chance to spotlight their game. So I thank you all for listening to that. But let's get on to some news for this week, yeah? All right, guys, in the week after the Xbox Bethesda Showcase and Summer Game Fest, we had a Capcom Showcase 
a second Capcom event and a Square Enix showcase of sorts. Uh, and we got some cool news come out of that. All things considered, I was quite pleased. Uh, during the 2022 Capcom showcase, uh, it was revealed that Resident Evil's 2, 3, and 7 would be getting native Xbox Series S and X updates along with PS5 enhancements. All three of those major Resident Evil titles are being upgraded for free on your respective platform. That'll work with smart delivery over on the Xbox platform, and that is awesome. Gotta say, the, the remakes of Resident Evil's 2 and 3 are just fantastic, and Resident Evil 7 stands atop its class in uh, a best in showcase of, of what first person horror is and what horror games in general are. Uh, it is my belief that Resident Evil Seven is the best horror game made to date, and I'm not well versed. I should rephrase. Let me let me back that up because that claim sounds a bit exaggerated given my limited scope. What I should say is Resident Evil Seven is the best horror game that I have played. I'm not you know like the best in the genre i don't play every single horror title but of the many that i have played resident evil 7 stands above the rest uh even next to i think uh, resident evil 8 village which i think is a fantastic game but i i use the analogy back when these games uh, came out respectively that resident evil 7 is very much the alien comparison whereas resident evil village is aliens resident evil uh village is far more action-packed and, and resident evil 7 is far more like solo enemy and, and you're on the run the entire time but i really love that franchise in a lot of ways despite some of the very weird turns that it has taken uh, i think capcom's curated the franchise mostly pretty well uh, i love seeing free next-gen updates come in I, I really think uh smart delivery did a good job in kind of pioneering that and studios would get backlash if they ever tried to pay to make uh, players upgrade to different versions and sometimes they just go with it Activision being a good example of that but other times uh, you know when, when they do right by players I think we're, we're in a good bit there uh, some other cool stuff coming out of that showcase we saw Resident Evil Village uh, has getting its big DLC drop the one that we knew about if you bought kind of the gold edition of the game and whatnot uh, they're getting their big DLC drop on October 28th a few days before Halloween this year and that's going to have the winter's expansion DLC uh, which is really exciting because it's going to be Ethan Winter more more focus on him but also it's going to allow you to play the game in third person Super excited to see that playing the entire campaign in third person. They're also going to add some new uh, characters to mercenaries mode, which is pretty darn cool. All things considered, uh, there is <laughs> now this is dope. There, there is the ability to play as Lady Demetresk, which is going to get a lot of people on board. I know that I can't imagine why. Uh, and then another story DLC called Shadows of Rose. I am all for it. I really think Resident Evil Village had a lot going for it. It had a really weird tonal shift at the end of the game. It switched to more of a Call of Duty-esque type experience. Uh, but the game was so good that RE Engine is absolutely amazing. Uh, and it's nice to see more stuff coming to it. I will be supporting it and checking it out regardless because I had such a good time with Resident Evil Village. Uh, I do think it's fair to note that it is taking a long time for content to come to Village from its release date. And I think that is inherently related to COVID and developing and work from home. I think studios are now getting into a groove, but if 2022 is nothing else, it is certainly the showcase of year where we're seeing the full effects of what the pandemic shift happened. In 2020 and 2021, we saw projects that were able to be finished, whereas the bulk of 2022 and beyond releases, uh, much of that development had to take place during a work from home scenario where they weren't quite ready for. So I'm excited to see Village get more content. Very happy to see Resident Evil 2, 3, and 7 be celebrated. And hopefully it is a continued showing to Capcom that players are willing to support things that are worthwhile. 
And in that same respect, it was in a, few, a, a live stream a few days after the Capcom showcase that we had the Dragon's Dogma 10th anniversary live stream. And it was announced that Dragon Dog, Dragon's Dogma 2 would be coming and is now in development. And I am super excited by this. I am not a huge fantasy game player like i'm not super into them I, a few of them have captured me dragon's dogma one captured me kingdoms of amalur the witcher 3 and elden ring are all kind of my standouts in the fantasy fantasy class or genre of games but i am very excited to see that dragon's dogma 2 is on its way moreover it's going to be using the proprietary re engine that is awesome dragon's dogma one was a special game in its time i can't say it's aged super well but it had some really cool almost monster hunter-esque mechanics combined with fantastic storytelling uh, that really gets me excited to see just what they're going to do with dragon's dogma 2 and all the lessons they've learned from working in the re engine the lessons they've learned from seeing games like the witcher 3 and elden ring be so successful in um, the different things that it does. My hope for the game is that they keep their scope a bit focused. One of the things that has caused a lot of people trepidation of late in seeing many of the RPGs that are announced, particularly in the Xbox community, think uh, Starfield, of course, is the big example. Think Avowed, think Fable, is that sometimes games get too big for their britches in terms of scope. A lot of people scoffed and got nervous when they heard that Starfield, you could visit a thousand planets. Now, thankfully, that particular trepidation has been debunked by comparing it to others in its class and the reality that those those 1000 planets that you could visit are not necessarily all fully curated experiences and that you'll be missing out by not going to 900 of them right you know many of them are ice balls for the sake of mining ice or uh balls with with lots of resources of a particular class on it that you can just go down and scoop up that kind of thing uh but moreover when it comes to scope in games it's a matter of just how well the travel ability between the different objectives are and how much there is to do in that particular area. Uh, if you were to think about it, you've got a thousand places plus that you can go in The Witcher 3 in Elden Ring and whatnot. And it's a matter of scale and how it's implemented and how it's utilized. So I'm less nervous about that Starfield news than I was a week ago after I listened to some brilliant breakdowns. I want to cite uh, ACG. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his channel, but he is a fantastic content creator. Uh, that did a really good job breaking down what a thousand planets means in terms of the time that it would take as compared to others in its class, in the space class, in the RPG class, compared to things like Elite Dangerous uh, or one other one that's just escaping me in the moment. And so I'm, I'm less nervous than I otherwise would be. I think No Man's Sky was his other comparison. But bottom line, Capcom, to me, got me very excited. Exo Primal continues to look really cool. I know a lot of people are really wishing for Dino Crisis. I think it's a... Uh, a fair thing to think in the moment, but once you get past that, it's time to realize that Exoprimal is its own thing, and I'm excited for what that game is. That, to me, looks like a video game-ass video game, and that's what I want from games. Some people are really about immersive, realistic experiences, and some people want you know the most video game-esque of games, and I tend to lean towards the latter. I want the most, more video game-y experience, the more power uh, power fantasy type things, but sometimes I'm in for a bit of immersion. But Exo Primal does look right up my alley. It also looks like a game that is prime for Game Pass, which is a a term that is sometimes used diminutively by people, and I think that's unfair. Uh, I don't like when people use it in a diminutive sense, like "oh, I'll wait for it to get to Game Pass," because um, I appreciate the value in what you're saying, but we don't want to de declassify is not the right word. We don't want to bring a game 
down to a level of saying it needs to be in a service for me to play it. Though I recognize the need financially for that on some people, but I don't think that's a fair uh, a fair moniker to put on different different titles. I'm excited for what Exoprimal brings to the table. It does look like a, a game that's fit for Game Pass in terms of needing a player base, but I'm in on that one day one out of pure curiosity. So, you know, we'll see. Times change. We'll see what happens uh, as we see more of that game. But I'm interested for sure, for sure. Now, the other slew of announcements that came this past week that seemed to get a few Xbox communities in uproar, uh, and irrationally so, I might add, and I'll push back on a few of my my friend content creators and a few of my uh, colleagues, I suppose, in the genre in terms of, of scale here. Uh, Square Enix had a live stream on the 25th anniversary of Final Fantasy VII, and during this live stream, they announced that uh, Final Fantasy Crisis Core, or I should say Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII, and I don't know, whatever, one of those weird uh, naming conventions, would be ported and remastered on all consoles, including Xbox and PC, this winter. Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII is a, a remake of a PSP title, and it's now going to be a- arriving into the Xbox space. That's really exciting. Uh, for a lot of people within that community, it's nice to see it hitting all platforms. A lot of people able to check out a game that was otherwise perhaps not necessarily seen by as many people because it was a portable title. Now, this is interesting because in the same live stream, they also announced the sequel to Final Fantasy VII Remake, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. They announced that sequel and they only announced it for PlayStation 5. Now, this means that the of the core Final Fantasy VII games in the remake category... Nothing has been mentioned for Microsoft consoles. It is strictly a PlayStation experience uh, for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth and for Final Fantasy VII Remake. That's going to be arriving, or that did arrive onto the Epic Games Store, and I think it's coming to Steam. But what's the the real element of this is that Final Fantasy VII Remake it seems to be ignoring the Xbox console, and a lot of people are really upset by this. Uh, I've seen a lot of outrage in that that realm. People going after Square Enix on Uh, social media spaces and i want to push back on that a little bit a lot of people going after square enix as though square enix was the company that was always there for xbox and that's just not been the case they've proven time and again that uh, they are good partners of sony they have a good financial and working relationship and in a world where xbox is building financial relationships with activision and blizzard acquiring them building financial relationships with bethesda and acquiring them Uh, and bringing in the likes of Persona and the Yakuza franchises to Game Pass, I think it's a little bit silly for everyone to act like this is the worst news ever. It sucks that a great game isn't making it to the Xbox platform. And I understand frustration and trepidation, but like many games that don't come to a particular platform, if you're truly interested in that experience and you were absolutely one for like, yo, that's the game I want to play, then you need to have the respective console for it. If you really want to play Mario Strikers, uh, battle, whatever it is, the one that I bought and is downstairs. Uh, if you really want to play that, you need a switch. You know, it, that's just the, the long and the short of it. If you really want to play Spider-Man or God of War, you need a PlayStation. And that's just how it is. If you really want to play Halo or Sea of Thieves, you need to be able to log into an Xbox plat- based platform. And that's just how it is. Uh, and I, I think it's silly when we lose our minds and start tweeting to us, Phil Spencer or going after Square Enix when these are businesses and these are people involved that are cutting business deals. Sony very likely paid a lot of money to keep Final Fantasy VII uh, 
in line with the PlayStation branding. And cheers to them for doing it. They've shown a willingness to do it time and again. And if Xbox fans are upset about that, be upset at one of the largest companies in the world not willing to match or exceed that spending. I think Xbox has shown us, though, time and again, they are trying to and working to build relationships with Japanese-based companies, and they're not going to get them all, guys. They can't have them all. That's just not how it works. Uh, Xbox has done wonders in turning around its branding to get away from the macho gamer uh, kind of idolization. You know, it's not just Mountain Dew and Doritos. They've done a really good job at bringing things into their platform uh, super recently. I mean, come on, guys. Two weeks ago, or less than two weeks ago, uh, three Persona games were announced to be coming to Game Pass. We know that Overwatch 2 and Diablo 4 are coming into to Game Pass. Now, Overwatch 2 is free-to-play, but they're bringing perks and stuff to Game Pass. Riot Games is bringing all their stuff to Game Pass for PC. I mean, they are showing us that they are, are here for gamers, and I think it's uh, a bit odd when people lose their minds about something like this. It sucks if you really wanted to play Final Fantasy VII and all you have is an Xbox but if you really want to play Final Fantasy VII, the truth is you're going to need to snag a PlayStation. It just doesn't seem that Square Enix is interested in bringing it to that particular platform. I can't argue that it doesn't bother me the way it's being handled by Square Enix with no statements on it or by saying, hey, we'll bring you Crisis Core, but not Final Fantasy VII Remake. But, I mean, that's the nature of business deals, right? That that might just be how it is. And, and so it goes. And I know a lot of you are disappointed and, and, and frustrated, and I hate that for you. But a little perspective and keeping in mind that, well, to be frank, you know, if Xbox really wanted to pay out the wazoo, they probably could. Uh, but is it worth it? You know, is, is it worth it? There's a lot of goodness in the Xbox ecosystem right now. And I think we need to celebrate that instead of focusing on the one or two things we don't have. And the reality is next to what we've gotten, what we don't have is, is pretty small by comparison. Uh, and and I, I think I would, st- I would stand by that statement pretty strongly. You know, I'm always willing to change my opinion and adapt. Uh, as, as recently as the, the Xbox game showcase, right? But the reality is I think we're doing pretty good. We're doing pretty darn good. I mean, thinking back just to those showcases, it, Shredder's Revenge just launched onto Game Pass. We have Witchfire, Modern Warfare 2 gameplay, Callisto Protocol, St- Street Fighter 6, all the Riot stuff, Gotham Knights, all that's coming to the Xbox ecosystem, you know? That's that's pretty cool. And within a year, you're getting Redfall, you're getting Starfield, you'll get Deathloop onto our platform. I mean, it's cool. It's cool. We got we got a lot. I don't think we need to be so upset about it. And, um, you know, I, I talked a bit about it uh, last week, but I really am coming around hard on that Xbox Bethesda showcase. I was really down during a live stream because a lot of that stuff wasn't necessarily for me. But in truth, the more and more I reflect and think about it and, and take my time, I'm really quite pleased with it. They're some pretty darn impressive stuff. And moreover, after watching the Diablo uh, gameplay i'm really excited for that game i wasn't it's not like the game that i go to every time but hearing my friends talk about it has been rather infectious and i'm super excited for it now super excited for it now and i hope it i hope it delivers on all those fronts because i'm i'm excited i'm stoked for it um there's just a lot to look forward to guys and i really am looking forward to it uh, a couple of you have asked me now let's transition a little bit it's not often that i do a what you've been playing section but i've been really diving into a lot of uh, ba- Xbox 360 games that are not backward compatible and taking advantage of getting achievements on Xbox Live by using an Xbox 360. Picked up 007 Legends, the Avatar uh, the Avatar game that is like based on the, the James Cameron's Avatar. Uh, picked up 007 GoldenEye Reloaded because <laughs> you know, I wanted to play Xbox and GoldenEye, right? I heard that was a big rumor. 
uh, Captain America. So, so like some licensed games that didn't make it to Bat Compat, the old TMNT games, uh, both the, the movie-based ones and the show-based ones, been picking up those and really just enjoying my time kind of going back and checking some old games out. It's been kind of fun actually playing some things that are no longer available. It's not to say they're the greatest games and maybe that's why they weren't made backward compatible, but it is neat to kind of go down memory lane. I'm always a guy that enjoys jumping in to old stuff. I don't I don't dislike old games because they are old, but I do like that I get to gain achievements for them and get, I guess the right word is credit for them. So that's kind of fun. I've been enjoying that. If you got any recommended branded games or branded or non- non-backward compatible games that i should ebay and and bring in uh, let me know and I'll, I'll check them out we'll see what we'll see what happens there all right let's switch to some listener mail writing in this week was chris parks he says do you think xbox going forward should stick to the, to the 12 months roadmap going in the next showcase. Personally, I'd be fine with it because the not E3 event in 2024 would probably have new game reveals and that we would be playing within the next year. Uh, Chris, I, I think it's a great question. The idea of like, should every showcase be a strictly within 12 months, you'll be playing showcase. Um, and I'm going to say, no, I don't agree with that. I don't think necessarily that's a good idea when you are competing with other brands that are showing you why you should buy their particular console or subscribe to their service. And they're trying to prove to you like what you're going to get in the long term. I do think 12 to 18 months is the good guideline to have, but it's always nice to know what's in the pipeline for down the line. I think Xbox would not be in nearly as good a standing if people didn't know about games like Fable or Avowed. Uh, that, that probably would hurt xbox to not have those if people didn't have perfect dark to discuss if they didn't have um hellblade 2 to think about if they didn't have that people would be like well xbox has no games and even though that's a meme at this point uh, it's good to know what is on its way for you and given that xbox has a plethora of studios it's nice to know some things but you're right we shouldn't know everything in fact i would argue we do know too much right now uh, and that's not necessarily a good thing. I think that's why we got the 12 month roadmap roadmap of games versus the the further out, you know, 18 to 24 month type thing. Um, yeah, so so not every time. No, but it is a good guideline to go by as opposed to a rule. Good question, man. Good question. Uh, Brendan Myers writes in, he says, can Microsoft pull off a Mario esque character where they can make all sorts of games with that character and see a majority of success? If not, uh, what do you think would be the reasons why they couldn't? So, Brendan, yes, I do think they could do that. They need to be very selective in who, and Banjo seems like the obvious candidate. Uh, they let Super Lucky slip through their fingers. I think they could have really done a good job by bringing in Playful Studios and, and allowing them to do just that. It would have taken time because Mario has the nostalgia factor. Uh, but if you look at a comparative point of like Astrobot, I think if you've got a good ba- base game, Seeing the character in other places makes them likable, lovable, and you'll want to see them in other places. But it really will take a commitment to doing just that. Hey, do we want to commit to this character? It needs to be a high-quality studio with high-quality prime games before you have too many spinoffs. They have a catalog of characters to do a lot with, um, and it feels like it feels like they're not doing enough with those characters, but it 
feels like that. That doesn't mean they're not. It's a matter of what we know, what we don't. And it's funny to say that when just three, four minutes ago, I was saying we know too much. But when it comes to mascot-esque characters, they're underutilizing Master Chief, uh, or I should say misusing him, given the way the show's reception was, given how, uh, while impressive the gameplay is in Halo Infinite, they've really botched the delivery of content there. Uh, And I think that... Uh, has sullied Master Chief's appearances, which is kind of a bummer because seeing him in Fortnite was really cool. Same with the Gears characters. But Chief is that character for the moment, and I don't know that that's the right character for the Mario-esque style, right? A little too heavy-handed, a little too masculine. Uh, I don't mean that in a weird way. I just mean like you want a character that's approachable by all, and Chief's a war hero, right? Mario is not a war hero. Mario is believable in stomping Goombas, but also driving a go-kart or uh, running in the Olympics against Sonic and such. So you know, take that for what you will. But it's a good question. I think Microsoft needs to just commit, and I don't know that they have. In some ways, there's, the ship feels like it's really on track for Microsoft, but in this particular way, they feel a bit scattered and confused. Good question, dude. Uh, this next question comes from Mr. Jam Pack Sam, and it's in relation to some of the recent rumors relating to Halo content. Now, it took me a minute to understand what he meant. He wrote in initially saying, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the rumors that of the real Halo content, uh, that real Halo content much later, like fall of 2023 for Battle Royale, etc. Um, and I was confused by what he meant uh, there. Th- th- I dove into it. And in short, there is new Halo Infinite content coming. The rumors are that there's Halo 2 maps, Halo 3 maps on the way. Um, Sam, I'm 99% sure that I can confirm that for you. The reception to Halo Infinite suggested uh, to a lot of people internally that, that things were good, but they needed to be a lot better. And then after the initial launch of the game, and they started seeing player feedback, they were very frustrated by things like the store, the lack of content, the lack of... Uh, classic maps and they are trying to respond to that initially the plan was to have all new only content um, but it looks like in response to some of that feedback they are trying to bring in halo 2 maps halo 3 maps that kind of stuff and a few armor abilities and characters yes uh to to infinite that said it's not going well it's too slow too slow so i don't know when that stuff is happening i don't have good enough sources to tell you that i know that 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 those rumors are true there is halo 2 and 3 content on the way along with some character stuff but i i don't know more than that um it's just too slow right it's just too slow anyone that's played halo infinite that gameplay is sublime it is just so good so good but the battle pass is too short uh the lack of content in the game it's just it's surprising to me how they can have other xbox studios do it right the plunder passes the gears battle pass and such and then botch it so badly it's just it's wild to me good question though good question all right uh let's see blaze knight my man blaze knight god i love blaze knight he has been around xcp since the beginning and in and out of the community and it's so good to see him on my timeline it makes me absolutely just overjoyed he says my favorite game of the xbox bethesda showcase was a plague tale requiem what are your thoughts on the plague tale series what are you hoping to see out of the new installment Blaze Knight, real talk, man, that is a gaming gap for me. I have never played a Plague's Tale. I've downloaded it before and not touched it. It is on my list to play this summer, as are many games, and I'm hopeful to get to it. Um, But something about the lack of action, I think, kept me from going into it. Third-person action adventure-style games are my 
personal favorite genre to go into, uh, but I have not gotten truly into a Plague's Tale. And so I, I think it's the lack of, maybe it's the lack of shooty, shooty, bang, bang. Or as I kind of mentioned earlier in the show, I'm not a big fantasy guy and it's kind of in that realm, but minus the combat, at least seemingly. But it is on my list to try, uh, particularly when Requiem comes out. And if I get a code for Requiem, then I'm going to check out Innocence ahead of time. Uh, and if I, whew, I have not tried, but I, maybe we can try and get them on the show. That'd be kind of neat. Um, that's one to look into, actually. That's a good idea to, to do. I'll put that on the list for sure. Um, tweet them and let them know, guys. Let's go with one more question this week. One more question. Someone who I have not had a chance to answer one of his wacky, crazy questions of late, Mr. Edward Varnell. He always writes in these like hypotheticals that get me off my game, and it's the best. I absolutely dig it. Uh, Edward writes in, he says, what is the most serious game that Xbox Game Studios have, and what's the wackiest thing, or the wackiest one that just brings me to laughter? Hmm. That's an interesting question, Edward. Serious game, there's a couple ways to think about that, right? Like Gears of War, hyper-violent, stakes are high, planetary involvement, but it's about underground monsters coming up to, to haunt humanity. Uh, Forza Motorsport 8, that game on its way, everything in that is fine-toothed, pure simulation, same with Flight Sim, Microsoft Flight Sim. Those are super serious games. To play them well, you have to be very serious about it to play them well. Uh, so that's a good, good question. I think my, I mean, my answer is going to be Forza Motorsport because that, to me, you have to be very serious about the game. But if you're talking about in terms of tone of the game, Xbox doesn't have a lot of serious games in terms of tone. I mean, think about what's out right now. State of Decay, Sea of Thieves, Halo, Gears, Battletoads, Ori. Uh, these are pretty fantastical games in, in many ways. And maybe that's why I personally am so drawn to the Xbox games versus uh, something like a PlayStation where, cause I, I enjoy that power trip, but I don't think they have a ton of super serious games other than the simulation style. Um, I think you can take gears very seriously in terms of tone if you wanted to. And same with Ori, if you wanted to, but if you take a step back, it's about a glowing uh, critter and about, humanity battling for its life so it's a good question um the one that brings me to laughter battletoads is pretty silly though i think that's kind of forgotten sea of thieves can can give you the best and worst moments i have been the most angry and the most happy in playing games of sea of thieves we just jumped back in by the way with my crew having an absolute blast uh in sea of thieves really excited for the stuff they're doing in season seven in terms of sea of thieves uh and i'll tell you right now anyone that's not a sea of thieves person Go in and play the Pirate's Life stuff based on Jack Sparrow. Uh, you won't get PvP'd during that. It's all PvE type stuff, and you can just have a really good story there. It's a great narrative. And you're playing in a, in a Sea of Thieves cross Pirates of the Caribbean world, and it's really fun and really well done. Uh, so check that out. Uh, guys, let me know what you think the most serious game in the Xbox catalog is, you know, either in terms of tone or in terms of like how serious you have to be to play it well. Those are, that's a really cool, thought provoking question um, that I dig and, and really like. So let me know what you guys think on that one. All right, guys, that's going to be it for me. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. I appreciate you greatly uh, when you do so, and I, and I thank you for all the support you guys have thrown my way. Uh, check out that Shredder's Revenge interview from last week. Really cool how much they love that game. And if you're interested, uh, stick around, because I've got a really great interview with the Redout 2 developers. Anti-Grab Racers are in my blood, all the way back to Wipeout 
on the OG PlayStation 1. Uh, and it's cool to hear how 3-4 Big Things is making their game more approachable because Redout 1 was really good, but it was hard. And Redout 2 is far more accessible for players that are new or just casual in the genre. That's it for me, guys. Take care. We are fortunate now to welcome back onto the show a year after his XEP debut, Giuseppe Franchi of 3-4 Big Things, here to talk about Red Out 2, the Anti-Gravity Racer, the sequel to the Anti-Gravity Racer. Uh, Giuseppe, how are you? Hello, thank you. Really good. It's nice to be back. I'm so glad that you were willing to come back to talk with us about uh, the sequel to Red Out. The Anti-Gravity Racer is going to be hitting... Uh, multiple platforms in the coming weeks. Very excited about this. Uh, did you, d- has it set in yet that you guys are, are about to launch Red Out 2? Uh, I would say yes. I would say it did because we've been working so hard on this thing for so much time. Now we kind of want to push it out of the door. <laughs> you guys uh, have been working on it for how long then? Well, um, it's been, I think, think uh, it's at least three full years could be more than that uh, i'm mm-hmm. fairly sure it's about four since the first prototypes and the first tests goodness gracious and the, the, now the first red out came out in 2016 uh and we you guys saw a pseudo sequel but not an actual sequel in red out assault which was sort of an on-rail shooter uh but it looks like you guys are going back to formula you're back to the anti-gravity racing uh, genre here with Red Out 2. Uh, if if development started a few years ago, what were some of the things that you guys wanted to do with Red Out 2 that maybe you weren't able to do in the first Red Out? Uh, let's say that we learned quite a lot from the experience we gathered from the first Red Out. I mean, the uh, reception of the game was fantastic and we were really, really happy with what you achieved. Um, but there were, there were some things that we wanted to, let's say, uh, explore a little deeper. Uh, first thing is the uh, customization options and the upgrades of the mm-hmm. ship, because uh, we really wanted to make uh, uh, to create a system in which you could make your own ship in a way, like swap around parts of the ship mm-hmm. to fit it to your driving style, and perhaps why not to fit it to the environment you're racing in. And uh, the second thing I would say is uh, accessibility, because uh, um, Redout was a uh, a cheese grater to the face difficult. That's the uh, a phrase that originated on our Discord channel to indicate like those hard trucks that you couldn't manage. Uh, so you could constantly grind your face against the wall. The term was a cheese grater to the face. And um, with Redout 2, we really wanted people to have a good experience the first time they pick up the controller. So we really um, put in an effort to teach you how to drive before like throwing you onto this crazy roller coaster at uh, at Redout speed. So it's funny you say that because I went back and listened to the last time you were on this show and any new listeners from from then to now they were on about a year ago uh, and I you laughed at me. You laughed at me because I told you how <laughs> much I? I loved your video game, how much I loved Cairo specifically, but that I consistently ran into walls and you laughed at me and you told me that was in large part your fault for the difficulty. Indeed uh, it was. <laughs> it was indeed. Okay. So, so you decided to dial that back a bit, help people like me out. 
Uh, yeah, you know, it was uh, kind of a nervous laughter because <laughs> I knew that. I mean, it was a legitimate critique. It's, uh, But, you know, we were a small team at the time. Uh, Redout 1 was the very first product we started working on at 3 4 Big Things. Uh, there's a lot has changed in, the, in these years. Like, the company has grown a lot. Now we are more than 50 people, and we definitely have learned a thing or two. So um, we have the capabilities, I would say, to make a game that is not that sharp if you get what i mean in a way because mm-hmm. when you're a small indie team like the, the thing we always said about red out we want to do this we want this game to be remembered for being hard and being fast so mm-hmm. that that's your only chance as an indie to emerge like do one thing and do it perfectly well and um so we really went all out with red out one with red out two uh we're in a position now that some people i mean is is not uh, you know the most successful brand in the, in the history of video game, but like some people do know about the game, which puts us in a in a comfortable position because we can try something new. Uh, we can mix it around a little bit without like um, how to say uh, spoiling the formula. Mm-hmm. When you guys started, you uh, you started very small, straight out of university. You grew to six people at one point. I'm listening. I mean, going back to the last interview. You talked about growing to six people and how you were surprised. And then when I last left you, 36 people. Now you guys are over 50? We are. We, we are indeed. And um, uh, we also got acquired by uh, Saber Entertainment. So mm-hmm. in a way, we're not indie anymore. So we're mm-hmm. part of uh, this large group, which is like currently is fantastic because you get to work with people that have like decades of experience in the industry. And it's exactly what we were missing when we started as a small indie company. Like, oh, no, we have no idea how to do things and we have nobody to ask. So now we're in a position where we can grow. We, we have a trajectory and we have some expertise, um, uh, more capacity to attract talent and whatnot. So I'm really happy with the with the course that the company is set on. And I hope that we can prove a thing or two with Redout 2 on like uh, our plans to make this company grow. See, that sounds really enticing and exciting, given that you guys were able to produce such a quality product with, as, an, as an indie studio at one point, to now not quite be in that indie space and you are, are able to attract that talent. Uh, what types of things get easier now that you've been, been able to grow? What things get easier? And by the way, I'm going to ask you the same question about what gets more difficult too. <laughs> Okay, thanks for the heads up because that's <laughs> definitely interesting. <laughs> what gets what gets easier? Um, uh, it's fantastic when you can actually afford to hire a producer, mm-hmm. and uh, so you don't have to like sweat uh, take care of the production pipeline. Plus, being in the production, that is really a lot of overhead. So, actually, having specialized fi- figures to take care of some aspect of the production schedule is a massive lift off your shoulders, and actually. Uh, really shows in um, you know the, the the amount of crunch time you're forced to put in when you're small um, that now is trivial compared to the early days and compared also to other products such as uh, without space assault that we did in the meantime uh, it really allows you to structure yourself a little better to like think about this. Uh, not only as a passion project because of course making video games is always a passion project it's a fantastic job and uh but you know with every fantastic job uh, there's the the downside is that you can pour just as much time you want into it and after 10 years because three four big things is 10 years old 
it starts to take a toll. So you, you find ways to better organize production to achieve the same results, if not like better results with like a uh, more humane amount of effort, I would say. Mm-hmm. That is fantastic. And what gets more difficult per se? What gets more difficult? Um, I think naturally when it comes to switching from six slash eight slash 12 people to 50, 60 people, mm-hmm. it's um, a little less about being a pirate and a little more about uh, doing your job to the best of your abilities. So one fantastic thing about uh, bit things in general at the beginning was that you could basically work at your desk and do whatever you wanted, you know, mm-hmm. in a way. Like if you wanted to prototype something on your time off or if you really were convinced that you wanted something in the game that was a fantastic idea, you could always like sit there and code it, sit there and prototype it, and uh, nobody would tell you anything. Nobody would stop you. Mm-hmm. And uh, a couple of features in uh, Red Out 1 and in other games like made their way in the games this way. Um, mm-hmm. Sorry for the convoluted syntax, but um, <laughs> like people in a, in a way almost jamming uh, in, during production in some parts of the production when actually yeah, you, you had time to do that. You, not, that was not always the case, but in some occasions you did. Mm-hmm. Uh, with being more structured comes uh, a little bit more like clarity on responsibilities, which mm-hmm. makes more people at ease because people really love it when they when they know exactly what's expected of them, like the boundaries of their work. Mm-hmm. And um, this makes them feel really comfortable. But at the same time, it's kind of harder to, you know, being a pirate, jam around and throw ideas in the product. Because one thing is if you, if you break like small indie project, like, because you, you, you pushed a wrong commit or something doesn't compile and then you got to spend like a couple of hours in the morning fixing it because otherwise you're going to stop the work of other people. And one thing is when you're 12, one thing is when you're 60. And mm. uh, in the second case, it's kind of more impactful. So we become really mindful of what goes into the repository and um, uh, what gets done at what, at what point. So a little less anarchy in a way, which mm-hmm. for the creative process sometimes feels a little uh, I dream about those days when I could just prototype a power up and throw it in the repository uh, now I can't anymore but like it's for a good reason in the end like I'm still happy with it gotcha well let's get to the game proper now one of the things that you talked about kind of earlier in the in the interview was that you have you're bringing ship customization to the ships here in Redout 2 uh, was that among the pillars of things that you guys wanted to make a difference on from from the last game to this one? Uh, yeah, uh, definitely. Um, there was this. Uh, I mean, in Redout One as well, we had these almost limitless combination of liveries and color schemes, so you could basically customize your ship and make it look rather unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was always close to our heart. Uh, with Redout 2, we really went overboard, I'd say, and you can swap around all the parts of your ship. Uh, you can swap around the engine. Uh, you can mount a different 
engine shape, uh, you can mount different flaps, uh, you can change the size of and, and the, um, the shape of your magnets, uh, of your tip, of your wings, uh, of your spoilers. Uh, you can basically take your base chassis. We have 12 base chassis and you can mod it um, so it's as you want it. We have so many combinations that we didn't even count them actually. It's, you can swap around parts until your ship looks exactly like you want it. Mm-hmm. And uh, do those ships have a, a an effect in game, or is that separate from the performance of the ship? It's actually separate. At the beginning, we thought about uh, having uh, you know you can swap around your engine, and then your ship is gonna behave differently because you know to uh, to an engine uh, we tie some gameplay stats, and then. You have more boost or more top speed and whatnot. But then we decided to actually detach the aesthetic factor from the gameplay factor. So you have Mm -hmm. functional modules that you can swap around to change the behavior of your ship. And then you have aesthetic modules to change the shape. And the reason Mm -hmm. we wanted to do that was like you shouldn't be constrained by uh, the functionality of a piece um, uh, and, and like any aesthetic let us say if you don't like one piece but it's the meta um then maybe it feels that uh, doesn't feel exactly right to have it on your ship like uh, we wanted to you to have on your ship exactly what you want and if that means like to separate the two so be it mm-hmm. what other things did you want to add in on red out 2 that maybe couldn't make its way into red out 1 or that you came up with in the meantime uh, we really wanted to work on the uh, race trucks and the environments. Um, Redout One was praised for its verticality and track design. Um, we had these roller coaster trucks, and we aimed at keeping the same feeling. So we mm-hmm. very much stick with that philosophy. Um, what we wanted to achieve was to have uh, race trucks that were not detached. Um, but part of a same, uh, um, like a proper racetrack, like the English term kind of fails me at this point, but you imagine Monza or Spa-Francorchamps, like you have a location in which you race mm-hmm. and you can actually arrange the track in different layouts or the Nürburgring, for example, you can race different races on the Nürburgring. You can have different track configurations, uh, but it's still the Nürburgring, right? Right, so uh, we played around and created these tr- uh, locations that actually work as a racetrack. So we open and close different parts of the track depending on where you are and depending on what track you're actually playing on. So we have shorter tracks for the lower speed classes, for example, longer tracks for the high speed classes. And the most important was well, the most important thing was we wanted this location to feel actually alive. So we mm-hmm. placed stands uh, with fans. Uh, we placed billboards, sponsors, uh, moving objects. Uh, we wanted you to feel that you're a part of uh, a proper motorsport. Like the Red Out competition is something that is followed, is televised. In Red Out 1, we had this kind of dystopic um, theme where Red Out was, uh, you know, racing on abandoned locations on Earth. In this mm-hmm. case, like, yeah, that is still the case. Uh, that we can still do. But imagine, like, if if something becomes the most popular motorsport in the galaxy, that means that people are going to watch it. People are going to mm-hmm. want to be there. So these locations must feel alive. And we really worked hard on it like to convey this feeling. 
That's interesting. Are there any returning tracks or did you guys go all new? Uh, there are returning tracks. Uh, there is one returning it, track. Say. Is it Cairo? It is Cairo. Yes, sir. It Let's is. Go. Cairo. I mean, Cairo was the very first environment we set off to work on for Redout One uh, when we hired our first technical artist that is still with us. So it's uh, it has a special meaning for us. Uh, it has to be there. Um, slightly different are the tracks. So uh, first of all, we got three tracks per location, not five anymore. So it's easier to, uh, to memorize. Like in one location, you have three tracks to memorize, not five. So that helps you. Uh, but one of them is uh, Kayo Kalima. Uh, we called it Neo Kalima, and it's making a comeback. Okay. All right. This is exciting. This makes me happy. This <laughs> makes me happy. I'm glad to hear uh, it. One of the other things I loved about the first Red Out was the music. And in watching the trailer for Red Out 2, it feels like we're going to get that same kind of uh, focused, high-octane sound that also is relaxing for some reason, despite going over a 1,000 kilometers an hour. Uh, <laughs> what can you tell me about the music for Red Out 2? Um, what can I tell you? Um, I can tell you that we got some licensed soundtracks, so we, we wanted to have some names on board with this because we all remember the good old days of uh, Wipeout and Rollcase, like uh, listening to this awesome soundtrack beats and then like just even when you were in your car or you know outside of the game because these tracks could stand on their own legs because there was these fantastic artists behind them uh, we wanted to do the same uh, so we got uh, really really some fantastic names on board I can name drop um, an Italian legend, this Giorgio Moroder. Uh, I can name drop Zardonic, who really worked close with us, actually composed some unique tracks for Red Out 2. Mm -hmm. uh, was there? Uh, this, we're, we're gonna we're gonna do more name dropping as we get close to launch. But uh, the ones we are already that are already out in the open are this one. There's also Dance with the Dead, mm -hmm. and um, on top of this, um, we basically did more of the same so we composed our own soundtrack and um, we have this dynamic mixing algorithm that like changes the soundtrack depending on like, how you're doing in the race uh, how close you are to race completion so the music actually gets faster and pumps you up more if you're close to uh, close to victory or close to defeat um we have uh, You'll so, see. I mean, I don't want to spoil it. It's just like you're going to see it in the first bigger jump. Uh, you're going to see what happens. So, okay. I, I, wanna, I, I want to investigate this without trying to spoil anything. You're telling me that the music will react dynamically to how I'm doing? I'm telling you exactly this. That's so cool. It is, right? That's so cool. How did, was that? Okay. How did you guys come up with that idea? Was that something you guys wanted to do for a while? Was it hard to implement? Uh, some of it is in uh, uh, like some early experiment of it on Redout 1 as well. But really? there was something that was um, like a, a very a very easy example is the high pass filter that we, you get when you jump in Redout 1. It's basically doing more of that. Like, so identifying some passages that need like the music to be louder or a little more in the background or really really pump you up or disappear 
or maybe high pass, low pass, depending on uh, your, your track conditions, depending on how you're doing. Uh, have you more focused or like, for example, in time attacks, uh, we have a more regular beat. Uh, we, we silence some parts of the theme to actually allow you to focus better and it becomes a little more droning. Um, I'm, I'm spoiling. Uh, so I just sh- shut up. But uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the thing is, basically, we have awesome audio guys that wanted to do this for a while. And um, they really, really did a massive amount of work. Also, because it's not just about mixing the soundtrack. It's that you have a really rich sound palette uh, that goes on. Uh, you have your engine, you have your magnets, you have power-ups, so you have boosts, energetic uh, uh, signals that flag when your boost is ready. You can overheat, so you have alarms or whatnot. And all this mixture of sounds has to... Uh, amalgamate and not fight with the music and that was really hard uh, and mm-hmm. some at some point uh, you have to understand what like, what are the important signals that you have to flag to the player and mm-hmm. actually highlight those and everything has to go a little bit in the background so there was a massive amount of work on this uh, but I'm really happy about the result and uh, you can notice um, without noticing like the thing with audio is that if audio is good you don't really realize um if it's bad, you do. Interesting. So, so yeah, that's that's just wild to me. And one of the things you talked about with this one is wanting it to be a more accessible game. But if I want to up the dip- difficulty, or if I'm able to to get more in tune, these sounds are going to inform my behavior as well without me even noticing. That's the that's the aim. That's the aim. Very cool. Very cool. Well, tell me a bit about these accessibility options. You wanted the game to be more approachable so that people like me didn't keep grinding their face against the wall. <laughs> yeah. What types of changes did you guys make there? Um, so um, first thing first, uh, we implemented a sort of a driving school. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make sure that you actually realize that this is a dual stick game. Um one thing we kept getting as a feedback is like, oh, the control scheme of Redout is fantastic. Uh, it just like it has to click. Like the moment you realize how to use the right stick, then you're good, and then you really start having fun and whatnot. We wanted that moment to come as early as possible for everybody. So we're taking some time in the first races to make sure that you understand what we're talking about. And, um, mm-hmm. That so dual can, stick yeah. racing nature was kind of lost on on a lot of people in the first red out. I remember learning that, but not right away. And so it looks like you guys are are really trying to address that then. Yeah, absolutely. And the second part is that even if you don't realize, like, uh, so if you utterly fail uh, understanding how to use the right stick, or maybe you're six years old um, with mind, uh, there's no violence, so you can play, Mm -hmm. uh, then we got um, a driving assist system that is something that may come as a surprise, like it's usually reserved for more simulation games rather than arcade games. But the thing is, uh, Redout is so fast and there's so many things that we ask you to do. Like you got to control your your throttle, your boost, uh, your overheat. You can overheat in Redout too. Uh, you can you have to pitch, strafe, roll, steer. There's these are lots of access to control at this kind of speed. So if you the thing is if you want to kind of give up some of these axes, you can. There's gonna be an AI driving with you at all times, and you can delegate input on some of these axes. So let's say 
uh, you can't be bothered pitching because like to keep the, the, the your ship from grinding the the floor uh, because like it's just too much of a hassle you don't see the fun in it then it's every, everything is okay just like delegate it to the driving assist um, you don't want to you know grind uh, your face against the wall because you take a turn too fast then you can enable auto braking and the AI is actually going to have you take the turn at its ideal speed, which is the same speed that the AI uses when competing against you. So you have a chance perhaps to learn the track. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the cool thing, I think, is that no matter how perfect we try to make this implementation, like the professional players at some point are going to want to disable everything and just have everything under control because you're just like, no matter how fast our AI is, like our best players are always going to be faster. Mm-hmm. Man. So yeah, we thought it was a, you know, a nice onboarding tool uh, to level the play field for, for those people who actually can't be bothered in like controlling so many things at once. That's really cool. That's it. See, that makes me very happy because the anti-gravity racers uh, today are so few and far in between and red out is, is among my favorites, if not my favorite uh, in, in the genre. And I want more people to be able to get into them. And like we did way back when with F zero and Wipeout and so, and roll cage and such. So uh, I'm glad to know that more people are able to get in uh, to that. How much uh, you guys used to have to QA or do, do quality insurance, like within your smaller team in, in working with Sabre or expanding your team, did that make testing things easier? Uh, easier. <laughs> or is that an apples and oranges question? No, no. I think it's a legitimate question. Uh, I think y- yes, it might have made testing things different. Uh, t- testing things easier. But the thing is, Redout Two is a whole different beast from Redout One. It's much, much larger. It's much, much scarier. So can't really, um, you know. Gorge it mm-hmm. probably would have been a breeze with Redout One, mm-hmm. but uh, I really know. Gotcha, gotcha. Did you learn any lessons from Redout Assault, which was a departure from Redout proper? It still exists within the same universe, uh, but did you learn any lessons from it that made its way into Redout Two? Uh, we did definitely learn uh, very a lot of very valuable lessons. I'm not really sure how many of these lessons can be applied to Redout 2. It's it's a close but different genre. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking also because uh, Redout Space Assault was such a strange development cycle Mm -hmm. that um, there's there's material for another podcast if you're interested. Sure, absolutely. (laughs) I still enjoyed that game, though. It was it was very much a departure, but you could see the DNA uh, between Red Out and, and Space Assault. And so I enjoyed I enjoyed that. But uh, I am glad to see Red Out 2 kind of coming back. What is it you hope people will will notice most about your sequel title, about Red Out 2 specifically? Notice most? Uh, mm, you know, I would very much settle with uh, 
the same feelings and the same reactions we got with Redout 1 saying oh this game is so fast it actually melts your face mm -hmm. that would be enough to make me happy mm -hmm. and possibly not accompanied by oh but it's just so freaking hard that like it's so unrelenting um it's not that I have something against hard games, like Redout 2 is still going to be a hard game. It's just a question of how difficulty is perceived. Because like a very hard game is not really worth it if it doesn't make you feel cool in the face of adversity. Like uh, there's a difference between a hard game and a frustrating game. Uh we want Redout 2 to be hard, not frustrating. Gotcha. That makes perfect sense, particularly given discussions the industry seems to continue to cycle around game difficulty you know does that make it worthwhile or not so i i love the distinction between a hard game versus a frustrating game and to me that makes uh, a lot more sense when you put it in those terms uh, you guys are launching on steam epic game store xbox series s and x ps5 ps4 xbox one switch this game is coming everywhere was there ever talk <laughs> of of putting it in just one place or using one of the subscription services that are all the rage ps plus xbox game pass no uh that kind of stuff that was that ever that was never in contention <laughs> anyway i mean everything is always in contention it's just a matter of uh, how realistic the conversation that you have are mm -hmm. and um the idea was like i mean this is not really a, a conversation for me because like i'm being mostly in production Rather than, which is also another fantastic thing uh, about the expansion that you asked me before. Like, I, I get to avoid the paperwork because I'm really, I really suck at it and it's really terrible. It drains my soul. Mm -hmm. So, these kind of discussions are left for the people who actually are capable of reading contracts and uh, understanding what's written in it and like make negotiations and whatnot. So, You're allowed to yeah. make the game and be a game designer instead ah, of all yeah, the other stuff. Yeah, that's just fantastic. <laughs> the, uh, one of the interesting things before we, we sound off here, uh, we noted before we were recording that the release date changed. That has to be... I, I don't know why it re uh, changed dates. You're welcome to share if you'd like, but are those release dates super stressful? We've seen a lot of games delay here and there thanks to, to the pandemic and other reasons. <laughs> yeah, release Can dates you shed any light? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you listed the platforms, right? Like, this game is coming out everywhere. So mm -hmm. every game developer knows that the more platforms, the more the migraines. Mm -hmm. um, there is no exceptions to that. Um, there's really no way around it. And um, the reason for the delay was, like, the usual reason. Like, there, are, there was a couple of kinks we wanted to iron out, like, to have this experience as close as possible to what we wanted and um mm -hmm. just to like to be sure um to make myself clear uh, that is never the case because you could potentially keep working on a game until you die of old age and you will never <laughs> get like 100 percent happy with what you got mm -hmm. um but we're getting close and um we really didn't want to you know botch the launch with having you know obvious critiques attached to the game which is something that we can easily fix and easily solve i think it's really worth it to have these couple of weeks of delay to um you know deliver a game that is actually functional and um satisfaction satisfactory fantastic fantastic well uh i know i listed the 
the platforms, but I think it would be great if we sound off and end the, the interview with you pointing people to where they can find your work, find the Red Out franchise, uh, and when they can look forward to playing this game. Uh, yeah, we always have our website, 34bigthings.com, which is terrible. Uh, not, not terrible in terms of content, like we are terrible in updating it usually, but it's there. <laughs> um, uh, we have redout.games for the uh, for the game franchise, and then you can find um, you can find it um, you can find the, the page already on Steam, for example, for Redout Two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you have your Facebook. We have your our sorry our Facebook account, our Twitter account. We have an Instagram account, so we're pretty much everywhere. If you search for Three Four Big Things or Redout, uh, you're gonna finally find uh, all the links. To, to the game, to the product, which is <laughs> funny because when we started, um, if you googled Red Out, uh, Google would actually take you to uh, a couture website that was called La Edoute, uh that is a French, um, it's a French brand of clothing, mm-hmm. and uh, we're really salty about this because, <laughs> like, you know, people are never gonna find our game, mm-hmm. but. Um, now, finally, we got to the point where if you look for Red Out, you're going to find Red Out. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, uh, dear listeners, I hope you guys will check out Red Out too. I absolutely adored the first game and the spinoff with Space Assault. Um, check out Red Out 2. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a blast. 